this morning your Bibles to the 19th Psalm. We are in a series of sermons preaching through portions of the Psalms. It's too long to work through it, dealing with every Psalm, so we're going to be skipping our way along. Mason's going to be helping as we go through. We're dealing with Psalm 19 this morning. So I read, let's remember this is the Word of God. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words, their voice is not heard. Their land has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. In them is placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit to the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey. And the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins, let them not rule over me. Then I'll be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of the great of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That is God's word. How beautiful it is. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this beautiful song. How rich. How full. What a blessing it is to your people. We thank you that you inspired David years ago to write it. We thank you for what he saw of you, how he was able to communicate that by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to us in such a wonderful way. And I pray this morning as we deal with this psalm, as we go through it, as we work our way along in it, that you would teach us of yourself. And as we come to the end, we would be overwhelmed with who you are and the fact that you have allowed us to know you in a personal way. You are a great and good God. We love you. We pray your blessing upon this time now in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Psalm 19 is all about the way God reveals himself to us. You know, one of the richest blessings that we have as believers is knowing that God has done just that, that he has revealed himself to his people that allows us Mere mortals that we are to know something of who he is, 
what He is like and how He works. Now notice I said that God allows us to know something of Himself. And that's really true because God certainly does not allow us to know everything there is to know about Himself. You know, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. The things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. There is so much about God that He has not chosen to reveal to us. There are secret things that God holds close to Himself and does not reveal. That's the way we are ourselves, isn't it? Isn't that way we reveal ourselves? You only know about me what I allow you to know. Believe me, there are things about me you don't know. There are things about me I don't want you to know. I only reveal to you what I am comfortable allowing you to see and to know about me. And I'm sure you are the same way as you open yourself or close yourself to other people in other situations. That's the way God is. God has chosen to allow us to know portions of Himself and who He is, and yet other portions of His character and His behavior, His activities are held hidden. Now, God has chosen to reveal a lot of himself to us. And instead of trying to peer behind the court curtain to find things we haven't, haven't been revealed, we need to be satisfied with what God has revealed to us. He has revealed so much to us, and he reveals himself to us in two ways, both of which are described for us in this psalm. Theologically, we speak of God's revelation in terms of his general revelation, that is, God speaking through what he has made, and God's special revelation, what he's revealed to us through what he has said. Now, Psalm 19 focuses upon both of those. The first uh, six verses, I think it is, uh, deal with God's general revelation, what he reveals or how he reveals himself in nature. And the rest of the psalm, verses 7 through 14, deal with how he reveals himself through what he has spoken. And that's the outline, and that's where we'll head this morning. So first we see a description of God's general revelation, verses 1 through 6, or how God has spoken to us through what he has made. This is God's revelation of himself to us in nature. Now, as we saw last week in Psalm 8... That evidence is everywhere. Remember Psalm 8 started this way. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth who has displayed your glory above the heavens. God has clearly revealed himself through what he has made. That's why David says in Psalm 14, we looked at this this past Wednesday night. It is the fool who says this in in his heart. There is no God. To look at this beautiful world in which we live, to see the marvelous creation, the handiwork of God, and then to declare there is no God is a characteristic of a fool. Well, how does God reveal himself to us in nature? 
Verse 1 tells us that creation or nature, what God has made, reveals God clearly. Notice what it says. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. Their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1 for just a second. And when you get there, if you got a piece of paper or something, you might stick it there. We're going to turn back to this passage in just a little bit. When you go to Romans chapter 1. And verse, um, verse 20 says this, For since the creation of the world, His, that is God's, invisible attributes, His eternal power, and divine nature have been, not just been seen, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. God's creation reveals himself clearly. It's not hidden. It's there for everyone to see. And, and, and look what the text says it reveals. It reveals his glory and it declares the work, the marvelous work of his hands, his handiwork. And you know, if you ever doubt the existence of God, if you ever doubt if God is theirs, some night when it's clear, drive out of the city, go out in the country somewhere, pull off to the side of the road, get out of your car, and just look. Look up. Look, look at the the magnificence of the heavens. It, it's, it's, it's overwhelming. And you don't even have to do that. After the service today and maybe before the meal or after the meal when you go into your car, just take the blinders off for a minute. Stop for a second and just look around you. Isn't the fall a wonderful time of the year when the leaves begin to, to turn just a, a bit here in Mississippi and just see it. The handiwork of God, it's, it's all around you. Nature reveals God clearly. Verse 2 says that creation or nature, God's handiwork, reveals God consistently. Verse 2, day to day, forth forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. It just goes on and on with such regularity, doesn't it? The, the rising of the sun in the morning and the setting in the evening, the coming of day and dawn, early in the morning and then the sunset and night, over and over with such tremendous regularity, with such tremendous consistency. It shows that there has to be someone who's created this world, who is running this magnificent place in which we live. You know, the sun, sun doesn't just rise and set. It rises and sets on schedule. So much on schedule, the weatherman can tell you far in advance when the exact time the sun will rise and when it will set. Day to day, night to night, pours forth speech declaring the existence of God. In verse 3, we see that the handiwork of God reveals Him silently. 
says there is no speech there are no words their voice is not heard the voice of nature is a silent voice you see creation gives us a visual lesson about the existence of God it's a visual presentation of the glory the power and the majesty of God it's a silent voice But folks, it is silent in surround sound. We are surrounded by it. Everywhere we look, we see evidence of the glory of God and of His handiwork. It is silent, but it is profound. Verses 4 through 6 tell us that creation reveals God universally. There's nowhere you can go to escape this obvious evidence of the existence of God. And he points in particular in these verses to the activity of the sun. And of course, from our perspective, sun is the most dominant uh, feature of our universe. It is the greatest of the heavenly bodies. And the glory of the sun is seen everywhere. And he speaks in those verses of how the, the, the universe kind of forms a tent for the sun and now the sun uh, rises in the east and it sets in the west and it crosses this great underneath this great tent that, that the universe is, uh, provides for it and it uh, appears to be as he says a bridegroom coming out of his chamber a strong man uh, that uh, is ready to run his course across the sky day after day says it's rising, verse 6, is from one end of the heavens, it's circled to the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The sun itself testifies to the existence, to the power, to the majesty, to the glory of God. Now, the sun is a glorious thing, isn't it? You, you can't look at the sun, can you? We wear sunglasses. And even with sunglasses, it's, it's difficult sometimes to look at the sun. Don't you see the point is, God made that sun. And, and if that which he made is so glorious, just imagine how glorious God himself is. You remember in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah got this vision of, of God on the throne and of the seraphim, the six-winged creatures... And they had six wings because they used two of the wings to fly. You'd expect that. But two of the wings were used to cover their feet, reflecting the holiness of God. And two of them were used to cover their face because the brilliance and the brightness of God was more than they could take. Look, folks, when you see the the beauty of the sun in the sky today, you think of the beauty and the glory and the splendor of the God who made it. And everywhere people live, that sun is seen. And it is a universal manifestation of His handiwork. I want to mention two things before we move on. And one is, as I've already said, how can you miss it? How can you miss it? It speaks so clearly. How can you miss the fact that God exists. 
And the other thing is, it makes God angry when people do miss it. It makes God angry when they neglect the obvious evidence there is for His existence. Go back to Romans chapter 1, just a moment. Verses 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, note this, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. And then again, verse 20, for since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. No man can rightly say there is no God. They suppress the truth. Notice the text also says, the God, what, for what is known about God is evident within them, and it is also made evident to them. Every man, woman, and child is made in the image of God. We all have some sense of God consciousness. And as the text says, we suppress that truth in unrighteousness. And the Bible says that makes God angry. So respond to what you see. Don't blind your eyes to the truth. As you go about your daily life, as you, as you see all that God has made, the wonder of His creations, creation, acknowledge the heavens declare the glory of God. And they declare His handiwork and the beauty of it. Well, that's God's revelation in nature. Second, we see in this psalm, that God reveals Himself, especially through what He has said. And that revelation in particular, of course, comes through His Word. We know that God's general revelation comes through what He has made, and God's special revelation comes through what He has said. And it comes to us right here. 66 books of the Bible. On the outside of my... Mine is called the Holy Bible. You know it's called the Holy Bible, don't you? It's the Holy Bible because it reveals to us a holy God. And the words that are contained in this book are holy because they reflect the holiness of the God who has spoken and revealed Himself to us in it. This is God's special revelation to us. This is God's book about Himself. And God speaks to us today only one way. And it's through the pages of this book. And He never contradicts it. Every word of this book is true. Every word of this book is reliable. You can trust everything that is said in this book. That's why North Point is here. It was first founded. It was founded to be a 
a church based upon the book, a church based upon the Bible, a church that unashamedly was going to open the book and declare what it said and, and believe every word that's in it. And it's my responsibility and the elders of this church to continue that tradition of this body of believers, to be a church that's all about the book and what God has revealed to us in it. I could have divided this sermon into two. Probably should have. Might come back to it later. But just look at this psalm. We'll kind of work our way through it quickly. Verses 7 and 8 give us six statements about Scripture. Then they give us six characteristics of Scripture. Notice in verses 7 and 8 that the Scripture is called the law, the testimony, Verse 8, the precepts and the commandment. And then in verse 9, it is fear and judgments. The characteristics are these. If you go back to verse 7, it is perfect, it is pure, it is right. I mean, it's sure, it is right, it is pure, it endures forever, and that it is altogether Righteous, And so it reads like this. The law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commandment of the Lord is pure. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the judgments of the Lord are true. And then it also gives four benefits of Scripture. Verse 7, it restores the soul. It makes the simple wise. Verse 8, it rejoices the heart and it enlightens the eyes. And then it gives us, in verse 9, uh, two characteristics of it. It endures forever and it is altogether righteous. What a wonderful description of the Word of God. It is the law, the testimony, the precepts, the commandment. It's the fear of the Lord. It's the judgments of the Lord. It's perfect, sure, right. Pure, clean, and true. It restores our souls. It makes us wise. It rejoices our hearts. It lightens our eyes. It endures forever. And it is altogether righteous. What a rich blessing the Word of God is to us. God's special revelation. I want you to go back with me to look at those benefits of Scripture for just a second. Where it says in verse 7, it restores the soul. You know, it is the Word of God, we believe, that is the agent of conversion. Now, the Holy Spirit opens our heart, but He uses Scripture to restore our souls, to change our hearts, and to change our lives. If you want your life to be different than it is today, the only way God gives for that to happen is for you to spend time in His law, which is perfect. It restores your soul. As I mentioned earlier, it also makes the simple wise. Wisdom in the Bible is taking what knowledge you have and applying it to life. I don't know of a more practical book than this. Because it is a guide for living. It shows you how to live. To take your knowledge of God and apply it to where you live every day. Notice also it says that it rejoices the heart, verse 8. 
for a believer, there ought to be joy in, in having and holding and reading and studying the book. You know, one of the things I love about North Point is that I don't know if anybody here is just because they think they got to be here. When I tell you, y'all are here because you want to be here. And you know what's going to happen when you get here. You're, you're going to be taught the Word. We, we find joy, don't we? We find joy in the truth of God's holy and inspired Word. It says also in verse 8 that it enlightens the eyes. You know, we were seeing on Wednesday night, we live in a world full of darkness. There are all kind of worldviews out there that try to snuff out the light of the gospel. But it is God's word that shines through that darkness. Enables us to see the truth and to see the way that we ought to be able to go. Psalm 119 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. If you don't know how to live or what you ought to do, turn to God's word and he will show you. And then verse 10 gives us the value of Scripture. Notice what he says in verse 10. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, the much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Gold and honey were some of the most precious commodities in that day. A man's wealth was determined by the amount of gold that he owned. And someone who had fine gold was a very rich person. And yet, the psalmist says that God's word is more desirable than gold to a believer. It is sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. Honey was one of the main staples in the diet of people in those days. Honey is sweet it's delectable, it's desirable, and yet the psalmist says that God's word is even sweeter. Sweeter. Otherwise you can tell how much you relate to God's word in your own life is how much that describes your life. And mine. Is, is God's word more valuable to you than what you have in the bank? Is God's word sweeter to you, more desirable to you than your favorite meal than you can imagine? For the believer, it is more desirable than gold, sweeter than honey. And then it also tells us what it does for us in verse 11. It says, Moreover by them your servant is warned. In keeping of them there is great reward. The effect of Scripture is twofold here. One is it warns us of danger. Sometimes when reading the Bible, there ought to be bells and whistles that just kind of flash and ring of warnings that God has given to His people, of things you ought not to think, things you ought not to say, things you ought not to do. He says, Moreover by them your servant is warned, and yet in the keeping of them there is great reward. If you want your life to be blessed, if you want to live a, a rewarding life, 
live it according to the truth of God's word. Because when you're outside of the path that God has laid for us, outside what is called the straight and narrow path, there is danger, there's hazard. But, but But in obedience, there is great blessing and great reward. One of the things it does for us, it gives us discernment. Verse 12. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I'll be blameless. And I shall be acquitted, acquitted in the great, of a great transgression. Notice it says, who can discern his errors or his own errors? Isn't it interesting that when the Bible talks about the discernment the Word of God gives to us, it doesn't give me discernment to point out my wife's sins or Carrie Whitehead's sins or Joel Johnson's sins. It gives me discernment to point out my own sin. That's why Jesus said, make sure that you take the log out of your own eye before you try to deal with the little speck in your brother or your sister's eyes. God doesn't give you discernment to judge other people. God gives you discernment to judge yourself, to know your own sin, so that in verse 13, you can keep back from presumptuous sins. Your sins will not rule over you. That you'll be blameless and acquitted of the great transgression. Scripture give us that kind of discernment. Verse 14 gives us the response. It's one of the most familiar verses in the Bible. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You might wonder, why in the world is that verse there? Why is that verse at the end of Psalm 19? It's because that is the natural response of someone who understands the greatness of God's revelation to us through nature and through what He has said. Oh Lord, purify me. Cleanse me. Make me more like Yourself. Let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, everything there is about me be acceptable in Your sight. Oh Lord, my rock. And my Redeemer. God's revealed us through what He has made. He's revealed Himself through what He has said. But folks, that's, those two are not even the greatest ways God has revealed Himself to us. The greatest way is in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews says, in these last days, God has spoken to us through His Son. And you really can't see the beauty and the glory and the wonder of God apart from Him. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You see what's on this table this morning is the way that God communicates to us. When this table is uncovered in just a few minutes... There'll be cups of juice and there'll be pieces of bread. And those are visual means by which God communicates to us invisible truths. 
And as you partake of the elements, God, in a wonderful way, feeds your hungry soul and your thirsty spirit and shows you anew and afresh your need of Him and blesses you with the assurance that He has covered all your sin with His shed blood on the cross. Thank God that He has spoken to us in His world, in His Word, and through His Son. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your Word, and we pray your blessing upon the preaching of it today. Take it and apply it to our hearts that we might be the people you've called us to be. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.